0: Our treasure, what we value, determines the decisions we make and the direction of our time and money. Since our hearts work in concert with our mind, we will be spending some more time on the mind today. There's a lot of give and take um, and a lot to take in here on this lesson. For those of you on the front row, I know this is your first time through apologetics. You're going to be get thrown a lot of new words today. I don't expect you to be able to converse using these terms by the end of this two hours. Um, But there's a little bit of spill. Wait, what's apologetics? Apologetics is defense of the faiths. Uh So this is good. That's why uh, it's good to ask those questions. Um, There's going to be a lot thrown at you. I do not expect you to be conversant in all these terms by the end of the day. But by the end of the year, I think you will be, which is nice. Thank you so much, Peyton. Gotcha. Okay. Um, So the yak sheet clearly looks different. There's a lot of notes. And if, for those of you that are older or are already taking this class of worldviews, like Caleb, I don't want to double down. So take notes on what you feel like will help you learn. Uh, for those of you that you feel like it won't, won't. Um, if you are around somebody that you're going to talk to, um, just be aware of it and move yourself if you need to, okay? Um, I am a sucker, absolute sucker, for, like, emotional YouTube videos. Um, <laughs> like, if there's, like... And it's not, I don't go searching them on YouTube. Like, I'm not a glutton for suffering, right? But, like, if it pops up on my Twitter feed, like, watch this soldier come home from Afghanistan and surprise his daughter. Oh, sure. I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll spend three minutes of my time weeping. Ah. Um, you know, this kid's uh, getting adopted this Christmas. Watch as he finds out. Ah. I'm crying before I press the link, right? <laughs> like, I just, I love... I love watching joy, right? It's one of my favorite concepts to partake of because I'm convinced we just don't get enough of it. So these pure joy moments, I love. So this one copped up about three months ago. The premise for the YouTube video is a gift unboxing, okay? I know some of you watch unboxing videos. I think they're dumb. Um, but for this one, is interesting, Okay. Um, the father here, he's a 66-year-old, was opening a gift from all his children. They brought him outside, gave him a shoebox-sized gift. The father was confused, both that they would have him come outside to unwrap his gift, and the fact that they were—he was being filmed. I want you to know this: the man has been colorblind his whole entire life, and they are about to revolutionize his world with their gift. I can tell you the rest, but I'd let, I'll just let you uh, see it. Can you open up to the full screen? Today, we're talking about worldview. A worldview... Oh, don't turn off. There's a PowerPoint. Oh, man. Okay, I will explain the PowerPoint to you in detail. You're like the man without the glasses. Um. I know, I know, I know. You just did it out of habit. I'd rather you have that habit than the other one. So a worldview is this. The way we interpret the world. Easy. It's the way we see reality. It's the way we interpret the world. It's the way we see reality. It's the glasses we wear. Okay? Okay. As individual creatures, we bring our interpretation of reality to bear on every situation and on every value that we hold. One that got a lot of play this week in the news, if you've been on any social media for any amount of time, I'm sure you saw the Nova Scotian activist who spoke on the UN on climate change. some I think it was a 13-year-old girl or something like that that spoke on climate change. If you noticed, her words did not sway anyone's opinion. Zero. Why? It did not change anyone's mind. What it did was reveal, though, predetermined worldviews. If you don't believe in earth shattering climate change, you believed something was wrong with the girl or her parents. And if you did believe in climate change, she was a warrior and a martyr for your cause. Worldview... Drastically influenced the way you interpreted that event. Next slide. Next slide. Next slide. Awesome. So I had these beautiful, like, movements on the slide on my Mac, and then I opened it up on a PC. And well, you know my views of PCs. Um, So every worldview is shaped by three fundamental questions. Three fundamental questions. First one's this. What exists outside of our minds? What exists inside our minds? And how do we feel about it? So if you're ready for the adult words, right? You like adult words. This is what we call them, right? Um, Metaphysics is what's outside of our mind. Epistemology is the study of how we know or exist inside our mind. And ethics, how do we feel about it? This is a three big terms. So as I discuss different ideas, especially suffering in the next couple weeks, I'm going to use these terms a lot. Okay? So while these sound complex, everyone's decisions are based on these three questions. Everyone's view of the world are based on how they answer these three questions. But, next slide, a toddler... Answers these three questions every day. Okay? What exists outside of our minds? For a toddler, they'll answer, my parents and my food. That's what exists outside their minds. They know that for certainty. What exists inside our minds? How does a toddler answer that? Fear of not having my parents or my food. That's what exists inside a toddler's mind. Pretty much every moment of the day. What? Um, how do I feel about it? How does the toddler feel about it? I am hungry. And I want attention. They deal with these three issues. But none of you are toddlers. Hallelujah. Your experience in reality. Has affected. And translated into a more complex understanding of the world around you. And while you don't ask or answer these questions daily, the questions and answers you do engage with daily are based on the answers to those questions you've already come up with in your mind. We will see how that's played out today. So first, let's deal with reality. Next slide. What is real? One of the most fundamental questions all people have dealt with is this. Why is there something rather than nothing? And all answers to those questions have had to deal with the following question. Is there a God? And if so, is He the cause of there being something rather than nothing? I would argue that there is more writing on this subject than probably any other subject in the history of mankind. This is a well-thought-about and articulated scope of thought. The answers, however, to all that writing can be summed up in three basic views. And while they have subcategories, they all fall into these main categories. Either you believe naturalism, that there is no God... In personal supernaturalism, there is a God. He is the cause, but He does not care. Notice how ethics have already slept into the metaphysical conversation about reality. They go hand in hand. Or lastly, personal supernaturalism. There is a God, He is the cause, and He cares. This is the basis of the big three Middle Eastern religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. So let's cover all three. Next slide. Naturalism. As the famous naturalist and former atheist Carl Sagan once said, I say former not to insult atheist, I'm a theist, therefore I believe when Carl died he met God and became a theist too. Right? He once famously said, The cosmos is all there ever is, ever was, and ever will be. Christian mathematician John Bill, I think, rightly defines naturalism as such. The main underlying theme of naturalism is that nature is self-sufficient. Nature, it is alleged, exists by itself, deriving all meaning and purpose from itself. It needs nothing outside of itself to explain it. You'll find in this group of people, atheists and agnostics. They dominate this group. Next one is impersonal naturalism. Here you'll find guys like Yoda, nature worshipers, Wiccans, dualists, and the such in this group. They are those who believe that ultimate reality is a divine force that is impersonal and entirely imminent in one way or another throughout the universe. By imminent, I mean it's here. It's always there. Really, Yoda summed it up. Hmm, force it is all around us. Binds us together, it does. Hey? It's those type of thinking. The key component to this group is this, that God and morality ethics are beyond the capability of knowing. So if you meet an impersonal supernaturalist, they believe God and morality ethics are beyond the capability of knowing. The next is personal supernaturalism. God created and governs the universe, but He remains separate and different from the universe. Does that make sense? So the impersonal supernaturalist believes God and the universe are typically the exact same thing. while the personal supernaturalist believes that God created and governs it, but he is wholly different from it. Does that make sense? Okay, there's a lot to take in here. Why is this important? Because we are conscious beings. So we are both mind and matter. So we have to ask the question, what came first, mind or matter? It's the ultimate chicken and the egg question. So this is how each one answers it. Next slide. What came first, mind or matter? To the naturalism, matter came first and then mind. To the impersonal supernaturalist, it was mind and matter together. And to the personal supernaturalist, it was mind then matter. Mind being God. You need to understand this because as you engage with these other two worldviews, you need to know their starting point. Because having a good conversation with them rests on starting points. If you don't understand the other side's starting point, the conversation can quickly move into absurdity. And like weird absurdity, like Russian theater absurdity, right? I've done one of those shows. It's nuts. The second question, what came first, mind or matter, is this one, and it's how do we know? Next slide. So how do we know? Or epistemology. This is your second group for your group for uh, the thinkers in the room. Epistemology asks the questions: Is knowledge possible, or are we just all voicing our own opinions? And if we get enough people of our group together, who all have the same opinion, then we call that truth, but it's not grounded in anything, okay? Is knowledge possible? And if so, how do we know what we know? Now, I know for most of you, you think the answer is obvious. You think every day at school. But for the naturalist, if there is only matter and no mind, well, you don't actually think or know anything. It's just your brain's response to stimuli, not actual thought, where you consider the options. to see the outcome? So to answer this question, we get three historical answers. And I mean historical because really, if you look at the writings of history, all the way back to pre-Greek thought, you still get these ideas all the way back then. And it doesn't matter where you go in the world, if you look at the histories of ancient Egypt, of China, of Native American cultures, you still get these three very present thoughts. They just might not call it this because they weren't Greek, and we derive our culture from the Greeks. But this is how we classify it, and if you have a conversation with somebody on the high school campus or the college campus in a couple years, these are the terms you're going to use first one is rationalism so what is rationalism I'm going to say this now I am giving you the spark notes version of this please understand this okay like I'm not even touching the surface of what I know let alone what actual people that are rationalist philosophers for a living know. okay so I'm giving you the spark notes okay if you want more information, find me coffee. Okay? And I'll you can pick my brain all day on this stuff. Okay? But I'm giving you the basic, the basic core. Rationalists, for the most part, are those who believe ultimate reality, i.e. God, consists of something that is non-material. So God is non-material. So a material God On the opposite, would be like Thor from the Marvel Universe. And so when I say material, I can touch him. Material. Right? Right? Material. So, God is spirit. It's very clear. God the Father is spirit, right? He's non-material. Other things that are non-material that a rationalist believe exists are ideas, mind, rational thought, or the ultimate spiritual being. If the cosmic mind comes before matter, the knowledge comes through the proper use of reason. Rationalism is the idea that man is capable of ascertaining true knowledge through unaided reason alone without the assistance of general or special revelation. So rationalists believe you can come to know something. Right? Okay? Famous mathematician, René Descartes. René is a male name that fell out of favor after a while. René Descartes came to this conclusion. You've all heard it. I think, therefore, I am. He was the famous one who said it. Since he could not be sure his body existed, since it could be a figment of his imagination, he concluded that thought was all he could be sure of. That he was the product of reason, and namely the product of something. And since something can't come from nothing, he concluded that God too must exist. There had to be an eternal, never having been created, immaterial being who created his immaterial mind. To rationalism. It's not even in a nutshell. It's more like a mustard seed shell. Okay? Very small. Okay? Everyone clap with me on the count of three. One, two, three. Thank you. You picked up that sound cue quickly. I really appreciate it. Um, Empiricism. It's not about empires. Unlike rationalists, empiricists, strictly speaking, believe that all knowledge is derived from the senses. While some empiricists have been theists, they are typically the outliers. Jeffrey Johnson reminds us that most empiricists believe that really, uh, most empiricists believe that really consists of only that which is physical and material. Reality consists of only that which is physical or material. They tend to be naturalists. For they answer the God question by saying that the universe is a closed system. Therefore, if matter comes before mind consciousness, knowledge originates through experience and experience through the physical senses alone. Because God does not exist as a part of the observable universe, if he exists at all, he is not an object of knowledge, seeing that he cannot be detected by empirical senses. When I say empirical senses, what do I mean? Who knows this? Okay, I'm glad I asked that question, because none of you know. They are the? Five senses. Okay. Who knows them? Excellent. And the sixth one, Ari? Genius. That's right. If you all were paying attention to VBC, you'd get that joke. Okay. Just a reminder, I am super simplifying these concepts. We'll talk more about this in a couple weeks as we talk about suffering from a pagan's point of view. Okay? Clap with me on three. One, two, three. Existentialism. Oh, this is a fun one, right? Like, this is the one where we all pass out the mushrooms and we get high. And we talk about, like, does the wall really exist, right? And like, am I... Oh, I love this wall. It's so comfy. Like, that's where existentialists go. They go, right to the mushrooms. <laughs> it's fun times. Existentialists are great at parties, just so you know in the future. Great. Provide hours of entertainment. So let me define it for you. Existentialism is the last option. It's the secular form. In its secular form, it is rooted in naturalism. Jeffrey Johnson defines it as this, The universe is a closed system, which means that knowledge is limited to sense experiences and that God does not exist, or he is unknowable and thus irrelevant. Thus, existentialism is man's attempt to dig his way out of finiteness in his endeavor to establish meaning for life without any objective foundation. Essentially they were empiricists and they didn't like the natural outcomes of it, which means that there is no purpose to life, so they needed to create something. And we got mushrooms. Existentialism came after rationalism and empiricism. Existentialists were not happy with the natural outcomes of naturalism. Naturally. I got three of them in there. That's great. Okay. Okay. One, two, three. Naturalism leads to no God, no afterlife, no purpose, no absolute moral code, and no free will. Without any of those, the natural conclusion to naturalism is what we call nihilism. That life is without purpose and meaning. So, if you want... An intro. It's so sad. If you want an intro into nihilism, read the writings of the shooters of Columbine High School about 15, 16 years ago. They were indoctrinated in this stuff. And several of the school shootings, I think this year, it was the same basic thought premise that drove them to commit their actions. Nihilism. Existentialists didn't like this outcome. So they were still committed to the lack of God or the lack of being able to know God, but they contended free will and ethics can still be had. How might you ask? Either by taking a leap of faith, not the faith we talked about two weeks ago, or by creating your own subjective purpose and meeting. You hear this all the time in our culture. You do you. Live out your truth. I think it was a dove commercial this summer. Like I'm serious. Mankind would create meaning for itself, which leads to a host of problems in ethics that we'll get to in a later week. The last question, speaking of ethics, is who determines what is right morally? One, two, three. Don't worry about the slide. Listen. How should we live? How do I do good? What is good? What is evil? What makes one opinion morally right and on the right side of history? And on this question, instead of three options, there are only two. Ethics, you can see the slide now if you need to follow along visually, are either objective and absolute in nature or they are subjective and relative in nature. Those are the only two options. That is, we either submit to God, or we will do what is right in our own estimation. Let's look first at the universal absolute ethical standard. Okay? For those of you that need a hint, this is the one we hold to. Okay? Jeffrey Johnson puts it this way, so I'll quote him directly. The moral standard is derived or comes from the character of a holy, righteous, Trinitarian God. Because love marks the essence of the relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Since God made us for his own purpose, he has the right to tell us how to fulfill that intended purpose. Because he has made us in his image, we are to mirror his love by loving him and loving our neighbors out of love. He has invited us to share in his love. So how do you find personal fulfillment and meaning? For our ethical code, it's very simple. It's actually the theme of our church. By knowing God and making him know. It's very simple. The second option is ethics are subjective and relative. What I mean by that, for those of you that are like, uh, subjective, like different subjects in school, I don't understand. Relative, like you know, they're my aunt and uncle. Like, how do I how do I deal with them? I don't even like that, right? But what I'm saying in those is that it's your own opinion. It comes from you. It doesn't come from anything outside of yourself. You're the subject, and not the object, right? Here's what subjective and relative. Ethics mean to. If, if there is no lawgiver, there is no universal law. Period. If there's no lawgiver, there's no universal law. I don't know if any of you, anyone like horror films in here? Do we have any horror film fishing out? We have some. It's crazy. Okay. You ever heard of a film like The Purge? It's this, right? Like it's this played out. It's subjective and relative. If there's no lawgiver, There is no universal law. Ethics, how I should act, comes down to personal preference. The best of this category links ethics to pragmatism. And I really think that's their best option here. And what is pragmatism? What works should be what is done. And in this view, men like Adolf Hitler get off easy. But also in this view, we can't say for absolute certainty that Adolf Hitler was wrong. And I don't know about you, but that terrifies me. Christians in the room. I I love talking about ethics with pagans. It's my favorite area. Because you get to, I would focus most of your conversations about apologetics around ethics. Because everyone wants right and wrong. We want it. You know why we want it? We were designed with right and wrong written on our hearts. Here's the difference between the Christian and the pagan. You have ground to stand on. Namely, the very word of God. In which you get to say, yeah, God tells me this is right, this is wrong. And they are left standing with their feet dangling in midair, with nothing. Other than their subjective opinion. They have nothing to base the laws of what they think right and wrong is on. Again, most non-believers believe in right and wrong. They make decisions based on it all the time. If they don't, then they can't ever say something is evil. Which if you spend time on social media or talk news, no one does. My favorite Babylon Bee article this week, I really need to post my favorite one every week to my Twitter. I I apologize. I'll put that on Instagram from now on. This is my favorite one of the week. It was Twitter has um, lowered its number of um, letters to zero to create a better user experience for... uh, Just because it just is crap. Everyone, everything puts out on Twitter. So many trolls. And the point is, we know that there's right and wrong, whether you know God or not. They know there's good and evil. I think everyone knows that. Only one side can ground it, and the other is left standing with his feet firmly planted in midair. With that in mind, we will talk about ethics in regard to good and evil in the next two weeks. I've already kind of prepped that conversation. So why did we spend time on this topic Why why did we talk about these three things tonight? And it's this. Have you ever seen someone come to faith? If you haven't, it's one of the most amazing experiences. And it's very similar to the video you saw tonight. It's someone putting on glasses to which it's not just mud anymore. But as he said, it's bright mud, right? It's color. The joy that you get when suddenly the puzzles fit into place and the clarity in which you get to engage the world should bring you much peace and bring you much joy. That's what the Bible says, right? Even in the midst of suffering and trial. And so that's why we wanted to talk about these these categories tonight. Because if you want to have a really good conversations with your friends regarding these categories, you have to be able to understand the foundations of people's worldviews so that you can ask questions about it and so that you can interact with how people think. And this is how people think.